Yeah, well, if you think about, you know, kids as they enter the school system, um, what they're taught is how to sit still, you know, for long periods of time. And the, the, the kind of, you know, the freedom of movement is not encouraged. And in some cases, it's, it's punished, right? Uh, and so what we're doing is we're, we're taking away those skills from kids. Um, but what we found, uh, you know, for example, is that uh, when you have, um, like, if you give children, you know, the freedom to play how they want to play, you know, at first, they might be like hesitant and kind of like, you know, they're waiting for that adult to say, be careful, you can't do that, stop. But after a while, when they realize that they can do what they want, they have the freedom to do so, and they have the affordances in, in the space that they're in to be able to just kind of let their imagination shape the play. Any kid can remember and can, and can go back to these rich play experiences. It's really up to us to, to provide them the venue and, and to mostly kind of get out of the way. This is the Fizet Cast. My guest today on the Phys Ed cast is Dr. Mariana Brussoni. She is an associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics in the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia. She is a developmental child psychologist who has investigated child injury prevention and children's outdoor play for the past 20 years. Her research really focuses on investigating and promoting the importance of outdoor risky play for children's healthy development and well-being, as well as measuring physical, psychosocial and financial impacts of injuries on children. She has an extensive research team that are working closely with key stakeholders and knowledge users to promote children's healthy, active and risky outdoor play. Her work has been featured in over 300 national and international media outlets. And in today's episode, we talk about the role of risky play in child development, how physical educators and parents can best support that, as well as some resources from Dr. Brassoni in regards to outdoor and risky play. It was an absolute pleasure to record this episode with uh, Dr. Brassoni, and I really hope that it will provide you some inspiration and hopefully is something that you can share with other teachers and families in your networks so that we can all work together to ensure that children are having the opportunity to get outdoors and play. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Dr. Brassoni. Hi, Mariana. How are you? Welcome to the Phys Ed Cast. Oh, I'm I'm very well, thank you, Nathan, and thanks for having me on here. Yeah, I'm very excited to speak to you today. Um, for those people that don't know you or don't know the work that you're doing, I, I'm very fortunate that I've sort of been following your work for a little while online. Um, but for those people that are new to you, can you give um, the listeners a little bit of background about you and the work that you're doing? Sure, yeah. Uh, so I'm a developmental psychologist, uh, but I've been an injury prevention researcher for going on 20 years now. 
Um, and I guess where my work is a little unusual is that I am an injury prevention researcher who actually thinks that we might be keeping our kids too safe, uh, particularly when it comes to play and outdoor activity. Uh, and so my work has really focused on um, figuring out, you know, what kids need in their play and their time outdoors and how we can support that. Uh, and particularly because um, injury and injury prevention and fear of injury has been a really big barrier. Uh, it's, it's about figuring out those barriers, uh, figuring out the evidence base behind what really is going on and, and helping dismantle the barriers so that we can provide kids with really rich, fulfilling um, and, and developmentally necessary outdoor and risky play opportunities. Yeah, fantastic. And how did you sort of get to find that as an area of focus, like coming from injury prevention, like what, what drove you down that, that path? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because injury prevention's approach is typically that risk is equal to a danger or hazard, right? So there really wasn't a differentiation between the fact that there could be risks that would be good, uh, and particularly for children from a developmental perspective, that they actually need to experience risks. Um, and if we think about it, even from an injury prevention perspective, that experiencing those risks gives them the opportunity to develop risk management skills um, and other really key learnings about the world, how the world works, how their body works, that can actually keep them safe in all sorts of different situations. Um, and so in terms of my uh, personal journey, really, uh, for, for a good chunk of my early career, I didn't question that. Um, and really just did work around child injury prevention that sought to minimize risk. Uh, I think big turning points for me, uh, I don't think there was one, I think it was a series of things, uh, but really becoming a parent myself uh, was a big one and really reflecting on my approach to parenting and, and what I was encouraging other people to do. Uh, and the fact that I recognized, you know, instinctly, as well as because of my developmental psychology background, that my children needed to have those risky play opportunities. Um, and and then I, I was exposed to more and more of the research literature, uh, particularly, for example, Ellen Beate Sandsetter's work uh, out of Norway, where she really got deeply into risky play. Um, and so all of uh, kind of all of that resonated with me a lot. And I realized that with injury prevention, we had this tendency to just be looking at the statistics, you know, the number of injuries and wanting those to come down. Um, and so a bit of a tunnel vision around the potential negative effects of just focusing on trying to get those injury numbers down. Um, and so that was really a big catalyst and turning point for me. And, and ever since then, which was probably around, you know, 2000, nine, 10, um, I've been working with uh, a variety of stakeholders, you know, across different fields uh, to combine our ideas to really dismantle barriers for kids. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, something you said there sort of, sort of resonated with me is I think back to, to my experience as a child and, and being able to just go out and play. And often there would be no adult uh, present and the types of play that we were engaging in, especially as a young a young boy was, you know, probably quite risky. Um, but now I look at, at young people today and I'm also a father, like I have two, two young daughters, a three-year-old and a nearly one-year-old. Um, and it does, it makes me reflect upon um, my experience, but also the experience that my children are now having. And, and I often catch myself saying things like, oh, be careful, don't do that. Um, and, and in doing that, maybe I'm, I'm not allowing them to take those, those risks. Is that something that you've seen a change over, 
you know, the past, you know, 10, 20 years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a few really important things in what you just said. Um, so one of the things that I, I really often have people reflect on is exactly what you did at the beginning of that was, uh, you know, your own childhood play experiences, right? And, you know, typically, when I ask people, particularly, you know, um, like there was a bit of a shift in the late 80s where kind of people born in the late 80s, you know, that kind of more intensive parenting, you know, the helicopter parenting approach was starting to come in. Uh, and so there's there's a bit of a shift for, for people kind of born after that. Um, but, you know, if you ask people what their favorite play memory is, you know, almost uh, inevitably they're outside. Um, they're unsupervised. You know, they're out playing with friends with kind of limitless time to go, go out and explore and figuring out what the rules are with their friends. And and they're probably not in formal play spaces. They're in like forests, ditches, ravines, you know, the streets around their house, you know, whatever they spaces they can find. Um, and so I find that really useful for people to think back on that because all they have to do is really reflect a little bit about what they got out of those things. Why, you know, why for you? was being outside, you know, your, what you immediately thought about that. What did you get out of that experience? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's, I'm trying to think back to my, my early childhood now, it's a few years ago, but yeah, I think just being like, I've always been somebody who's enjoyed being outside. And even now as an adult, I enjoy being outside. It's just that freedom and that joy of, you know, not being contained within a space. And, and I, I feel like being outdoors, there's just so many options and so many different, um, ways that your your play or you can your adventure can go well so that you know so that basically sums up uh, a whole bunch of developmental research <laughs> so you, you know you, t- you talked about freedom and joy right so you think about like that's something that's really available outside and not in right so you know the spaces are are bigger um, you you know you have more opportunity to find novel things because there's a constant change. You know you can move your body in in different ways, make bigger movements, run, shout, etc. All of that you know you can only really do outside. Um, and so you can link all of those things to child health and development. You know kids are more physically active and less sedentary when they're outdoors. You know their the physical literacy opportunities outdoors are are tremendous. Um, being able to be with their friends unsupervised gives them a chance to really develop their social skills, their uh, their ability to negotiate with friends. That's really key to to so much of their future relationships and social emotional health. Coming up with their own goals and the steps to attain those goals. Well, that's really fundamentally important to executive functioning skills. You know, so uh, the kinds of things that help us direct our attention in a certain place for you know long enough and figure out how we attain a goal those are skills you're going to need and use for the rest of your life and and like any skill and muscle they require practice you know in order to develop them um and and on and on and on basically you know so through the course of the research that we've been doing that others have been doing it's become really really clear that outdoor play is different from indoor play that children need those opportunities and access and that risk has to be an inherent part of that we need to you know pave the way for kids to be able to take risks yeah for sure and there's a couple of things that you said there that really jumped out at me and, and one is just that that joy 
um, of, of movement. There's a, there's a quote by Scott Kretschmar, which I absolutely love, and I have it stuck up on my desk at the school, and it says, when movement is experienced as joy, it adorns our lives, makes our days go better, and gives us something to look forward to. When movement is joyful and meaningful, it, it may even inspire us to do things we never thought possible. Um, and so as you're saying all of those things, that's what's coming into my mind is that that joy of just moving and and, and through that joy, being able to, to be inspired to do these things that, that maybe were we didn't think were possible um, before. And I definitely, you talked about physical literacy. And I think as a physical educator, that's something that has been a big shift um, within the physical education field in the past you know, 10, 20 years, is that move away from, I guess, your, your multi-activity sport approach to physical education to a more um, individual physical literacy development um, approach to, to physical education. And through that play, I think forms a big a big part of that. I'm, I I teach right now, um, kindergarten grade one and grade five, and there's such a difference between the type of play that I see the kindergarten and grade one um, students engage in, as opposed to the grade five students engage in. Um, and I'm wondering, is there is there any research or any anything that that speaks to why kids at a younger age maybe are able to play in such a more free and joyful way as opposed to, to children as they grow older? Mm. Yeah, well, if you think about, you know, kids as they enter the school system, um, what they're taught is how to sit still, you know, for long periods of time. And the, the, the kind of, you know, the freedom of movement is not encouraged. And in some cases, it's, it's punished, right? Uh, and so what we're doing is we're, we're taking away those skills from kids. Um, but what we found, uh, you know, for example, is that uh, when you have, um, like, if you give children, you know, the freedom to play how they want to play, you know, at first, they might be like, hesitant and kind of like, you know, they're waiting for that adult to say, you know, be careful, you can't do that, stop. But after a while, when they realize that they can do what they want, they have the freedom to do so. And they have the affordances in, in the space that they're in to be able to just kind of let their imagination shape the play. Any kid can remember and can, and can go back to these rich play experiences. It's really up to us to, to provide them the venue and, and to mostly kind of get out of the way. Yeah, definitely. And it makes me think of my, my three-year-old daughter, like she just gets... You can just see her eyes almost glaze over and she's in this just imaginary world of play and, and she invites you to come into that world. And uh, right now she's really into playing Toy Story and it's this whole world of, of Toy Story that takes place inside and outside of our house. And it's just amazing like to just to stand back and watch that. Um, and you're right, I think as we get kids into the school system, we, we tell them, you stand in a line, sit in a desk, don't do that. You can't do this. Here's your playtime. You've got 15 minutes. Go, but you can't play with this. You can play with that. Um, and I think you're right. It does just sort of destroy that that joyful aspect and and that just, I guess, ex- exploration of of trying to find out like what they enjoy. We're we're sort of boxing them in and, and trying to make them play within certain frameworks. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's what we have to kind of fight against because a, a lot of what we the limitations that we put on kids um, are not, we're not making child-based decisions around those limitations. The decisions 
come from adult fear. So what I call anxiety-based caregiving, right? Um, and it happens at homes and it happens in schools. You know, in schools, you have a fear of liability, you know, a fear of how parents will react if their kids get hurt, uh, uh, a fear of whether kids will get out of control if you let them do what they want. And, you know, on and on and on, rather than um, actually putting the children at the center of those decisions and trying to construct an environment that supports them. Yeah. Um, so I, I was reading a little bit, trying to read a little bit of your work earlier, and I was reading one of the one of the papers that you'd, you'd written around the importance of play and nature-based play spaces. And it talked about these uh, seven C's. Um, I wonder if you could touch a little bit on that. Sure. Yeah. So the seven C's are uh, design guidelines for uh, playgrounds that were developed by a colleague of mine, Professor Susan Harrington. Uh, so she's a professor of landscape architecture at University of British Columbia. Um, and they're based on, on work uh, over uh, a long period of time that she's done in early childhood settings. Um, and so, uh, you know, observing children's play in those settings and, and the varying play in different qualities of settings, she developed the, the seven C's. Um, and so in our work, what we've done is actually, uh, for example, we did a study a few years ago where we used the seven C's to modify the outdoor play space of um, a, a couple of childcare centers um, and looked at how the children's play changed and, and how their um, movement and, and uh, well-being and also the early childhood educators report on their behaviors, how all of that changed. Um, and we found, you know, some pretty important, um, significant effects on, on just, you know, providing richer outdoor uh, play spaces for kids. Um, and so you, the seven C's are accessible online to anybody. You can go to outdoorplaycanada.ca in the resource page and, and find a link to them there. Um, but, the, but the general gist is that you have to think about um, who you're designing for. You know, so children are much smaller than adults. So you have to get yourself down to their level. Um, you have to think about um, the kinds of things that they would want to do. You have to think about the environment you're in, you know, things like shade and sun and 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 physical comfort. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a couple of the really key things that we found is that uh, providing uh, loose parts, you know, loose materials is really important. So these would be things like, um, you know, uh, sticks and mud and sand and water and crates and, and tarps and, you know, things that kids can move around uh, so that they can really allow their imagination to shape the, the play that they, they do. Um, and uh, also we would want nature and natural materials incorporated in play spaces, um, not only because we know all of the positive health effects of having nearby nature, but also uh, because nature is changing constantly. Um, and so it, it, it provides like constant novelty. Um, say, compare that to, you know, a tarmac outdoor play environment with uh, a piece of fixed play equipment that will look exactly the same day after day after day after day. And so kids will lose interest in it very, very quickly. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I guess the question being, if, if this is this is obviously an issue right now, um, looking at, at the out, outsideplay.ca website, um, it, you've got on there that like 37% of children play outside every day and only 7% of kids under 10 are allowed to go out on their own. So it's obviously 
an issue, how do we how do we solve this problem, or how do we start to to move those numbers in a in a more positive direction? Well, you know, it's it's a concerted effort, it's a societal effort, which it sometimes seems daunting. Um, but you know, what keeps me energized is a few things. So I, I'm in injury prevention, and you know, things like seatbelts and um, and um, drunk driving, uh, the, the things that seemed so hard to shift have shifted dramatically. Uh, and we know that it's, you know, it's not a quick shift. It is, you know, it, it took a couple of generations to get where we are, and it's going to take that to get back. Um, but it's important because the goalposts are shifting, right? So, you know, I mentioned that in the late 80s, we had kind of this shift in parenting. And so what I've seen with some of the younger parents that I've talked to is that um, many of them don't have these kind of intuitive memories of being allowed to play outside on their own, unsupervised. And so what that's meant is that they have less of a frame of reference for why that's important, as well as it's much harder to help them understand that kids are actually quite capable of doing that because they didn't have those experiences themselves. And so I'm afraid of these goalposts that are getting kind of shifting and getting narrower um, that we need to move. So how do we do that? Um, well, we need to do multi-sectoral work and that's what we're trying to do. Um, and so it's it's working with the, the people who are with kids, you know, schools, educators, um, working with parents, um, but also thinking about the policies that surround um, those kids and, and their needs. And then also doing work with the media to shift the national conversation so that um, people are talking about this uh, and they are thinking, rethinking their approaches. Um, and in fact, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic because I've seen even in the space of time that I've been working in this field, some really important and significant changes um, that have improved conditions for kids. You know, it's kind of like a one step back, two steps forward approach. Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering if like in your research, have you found, obviously there's, there's fear. You, you talked about parent-based fear or anxiety um, around, around kids and their safety. Is there anything that sort of jumps out as being the, the big fear? What are, what are parents afraid of? What is, what's the fear that exists for that, mm. for those people? Yeah, there's kind of three big fears. Um, one is um, kidnapping. Um, so there really is a fear, you know, of, of somebody taking their child or interfering with their child in, in some very harmful way, a stranger. Um, there's a fear of their child getting seriously injured. In some cases, you know, the definition of serious injury is not what I would consider. You know, it might be a, a minor scrape or bruise or even, you know, a broken arm. Um, and then an interesting fear that we didn't anticipate was actually the fear of other parents thinking that they're bad parents. Um, and so we've tried to, on you know, you mentioned outsideplay.ca. That's our tool for parents to help them think through their approach and develop a plan for change. We've, we've tried to really kind of get into those fears and address them. And But just to let your listeners know, you know, the, the fear of kidnapping, um, the it, it, kidnappings by strangers uh, are extremely rare in Canada. Um, the rate is about one in 14 million, um, which is about the same likelihood as, as, as winning Lotto 649. You know, it's, <laughs> it's very, very unlikely. Um, and so we have to think, you know, a lot of parents say, well, there's still one, you know, in those 14 million. I don't want my kid to be that one. Um, 
And I totally get that. You know, I have two kids and I, I also fear for them. But what we have to think about is the kinds of limitations that we put on our kids, the things we don't allow them to do, and how really important the effects of those limitations are on their health, their development, and well-being. And those are far more likely to have a negative impact, you know, than the very, very remote possibility that they could get kidnapped by a stranger. Um, in terms of injury, um, you know, I, I look at injury statistics all the time. And in fact, um, we uh, children don't die from play. You know, if you look at the the last uh, 17 years of Canadian data on, say, falls from trees, death from falls from trees for kids, there hasn't been one, not even one in 17 years. Right. And there's been in the last seven years, there has been two deaths from falls from play equipment. So that's a rate of uh, about one in 49 million. Right. So we're talking about very, very remote possibilities. And yet, you know, we put our kids in cars and move them that way in an effort to keep them safe when, in fact, the leading killer of kids is car crashes. Right. So so there's a bit of a disconnect there between the reality and and what the fears are. Um, yeah, and then the, sorry, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say it's interesting. The third the third one was the one that jumped out for me, um, because I guess prior to becoming a parent, that was not something that I had even ever considered was the the effect that um, other parents and the perception of, that other parents have upon upon you as a parent. Um, so it was really interesting to, to hear you hear you speak about that because that's definitely something that I think is is real in the community. It's like, and I would say that from a from a, my perspective and a parent's perspective, that that I think would be a really huge um, reason why people are maybe fearful to let their kids play in a risky way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's exacerbated by you know social media and and posts and things like that. Um, and so, you know, we're see, seeing other people's parenting, this this kind of glossy version of other people's parenting, um, and, and also, you know, being afraid that our parenting is on display more and more. Uh, but I think, you know, with, with our parents' generation, certainly my parents, um, well, parenting wasn't a verb back then. Um, and, and people didn't really, you know, pay attention to how other people were parenting, for better or for worse. Uh, but it's really become an issue now these days, and people do feel much more under the microscope. Uh, and it's not an easy thing to fight that urge. But but one of the things we do in OutsidePlay.ca is is the first thing is to get you know parents to think about what do they want most for their child when they grow up. What kind of characteristics or qualities do they want their child to have? And so to really focus on those. Um, and fostering those in their children and thinking about those things, you know, and trying to bro- block out all of that other noise and fear. And, and I know that's really hard. And, you know, and, and we want to support parents and parents are just trying to do the best they can in a very difficult world and circumstances. So we totally get that. Um, it's, it's just trying to give parents the tools to work towards that. It sounds, it sounds as you're speaking, uh, it, it, as an educator, it makes me think to the disconnect often that exists between um, a parent's generation and the, and the current generation where, you know, like my parents' generation, 
um, definitely were going to school in a, in a situation where it was like, sit down in a desk, we're going to do a spelling test, you're going to learn this. And at the end of the week, you'll be tested and very much um, didactic, rote learning curriculum. Whereas now we're really seeing like I work in a, an international baccalaureate school, which has is very inquiry based and student centered. And often parents don't understand the, the difference between those things. They don't understand why the kids are not being tested or why the kids um not doing work when they're actually inquiring and and sort of like following their own wonderings it it sounds very similar to this disconnect that exists between um what you're saying that how kids should be playing and and maybe um how parents think that kids should be playing yeah absolutely and and in fact we're working now to expand outside play.ca to include um a section for early childhood educators and so we've done a lot of research and and focus groups with educators and and they're also you know like you they're telling us that one of the big barriers is the parents not wanting the kids to go outside you know not wanting them to get muddy wanting the focus on academics and not understanding why play is so important um and so we we will be providing within that tool some some language, some ways to work with parents to to kind of help them. Um, but I think one of the key things is really uh, having that uh, conversation repeatedly, you know, over and over again with parents so that um, they're understanding, like, it's not just uh, a one-time thing, that they can see, you know, they come to the education center, the school, the, the child care, and right off the bat, there's a conversation with them about why certain approaches are taken, why it's so important. But then there's continued conversation, you know, work because people are going to be at different levels of comfort with risk and we have to meet people where they're at. Can't expect them to come to you. So it's working through those challenges and fears, but also showing them, you know, this pedagogical documentation, showing them um, what their child's getting out of these activities, you know, throughout the year so that they can also see for themselves how their child is, is blossoming uh, with this kind of uh, opportunity. Fantastic. So, I mean, I guess as a, as a parent or as an educator, like what are some easy or some easy first steps or some things that, that we should be focusing on in, in order to allow our kids to be able to play in, in a risky fashion? Well, what we've uh, really seen is that um, it requires a whole school approach, right? So you need to have, like as an educator, you need to feel like the senior administrators have your back, right? Um, otherwise, you're going to be quite hesitant to kind of move forward. So it's, it's a, it needs to conversation and dialogue and, uh, you know, basically establishing guidelines for the entire school that everybody's on board. Um, and having not it's not just a one time conversation, but that it, it could be a standing item on uh, on your staff meetings where, you know, you just talk about your approach and, the, you know, the latest things that you've uncovered and and you can work with each other through a mentorship model and, and so on. Um, but, if you know, if, if I would tell, you know, one simple key, easy do it today kind of thing that parents, educators, anybody could do it would be probably the 17 second rule, which would be next time you feel like you have, be careful coming out of your uh, mouth, (laughs) be careful, stop, don't do that. Before you open your mouth to say it, count to 17. Let the situation play out and see what happens. 
Uh, and I think if you actually do that, that you will very quickly see that kids are much more capable and competent than, than you anticipated. And you can then build on that to move forward. That's a great strategy. Why 17? <laughs> you know, the 17 second rule comes from an educator, a head teacher in England, um, who had discovered that that seemed to be a, a good amount of time for her teachers and, and uh, uh, the people she was working with, the adults, to, to just let things play out so that you could see whether it was actually necessary for you to step in or not. And chances are it, it wasn't. It's, it's really quite rare that adults should need to step in. Yeah, it's something that that even for me as a as a educator sometimes <clears throat> is just giving like even during my, some of my PE lessons. Um, obviously, sometimes we don't have like the gym's not available or the, the spaces are, are not available, and so we'll often just go outside and and I give the the kids, especially the kindergartens and the grade ones, it'll just be like a free play session. Um, mm. And a lot of people might stand and say, "Well, hang on, like what are you doing? You're not actually teaching. You're just letting them play." But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm observing the kids. I'm watching what they're doing. I'm watching the type of play they're engaged in. I'm watching them interact with each other. I'm watching them um, solve problems, you know, these these social dynamics. And I think as a as an educator and, especially, and as a parent as well, you can learn so much by actually consciously watching kids while they're playing and trying to understand exactly what's happening and, and not, not getting involved um, and not trying to, to control and direct that play. Um, some of the most valuable understandings I've, I've come to about my students have been in those situations where I've just been watching them play. And, and like you said, they'll get themselves into a conflict or into a situation which normally a parent or, or a teacher would step in and try and solve, but just actually stepping back and trying to allow them to solve that problem themselves. Mm, absolutely. And also like building that positive relationship with your students, right? So that it doesn't become a, a relationship of no, stop, you know, and, and you being a barrier to them doing what they want to do, but that, that they see you as a supporter and, and a facilitator. Uh, and that relationship uh, and the understanding of the children's capability is also key for risk-benefit assessments, um, which is a framework that we propose for, for teachers and for, for others, play providers, you know, in terms of thinking how, what kids, you know, should do and how you prepare the environment for kids uh, we developed a, the risk-benefit assessment framework, which is also available on the Outdoor Play Canada website. Um, and really the foundation of that is a relationship with the children. You know what they're capable of, and so and you will adjust your risk management accordingly. One of the things I love about the Outside Play Canada website you have there is, is the videos. Um, can you explain to, to my listeners a little bit about the videos that are on there? Sure. Yeah. So, and, and I guess we're, we're talking about two different websites, which I know are confusing. We have so many URLs that are okay. similar. <laughs> so uh, Outdoor Play Canada is a hub website for anybody to um, reach, uh, to, to find resources around outdoor play. Um, and so it's kind of the hub of uh, sending people to the spokes of other resources. Outsideplay.ca is my website um, for, it's the risk reframing tool for parents, and, and soon we'll also have one for early childhood educators. Um, and so that is really, uh, it, it's a tool for, for parents to work through some of the challenges they feel, and by the end of it, they, they would develop a goal for how they're going to change things. Uh, and so we have a, a few videos on there. 
um, at, in the introduction, introductory page, there's a video that kind of gives an overview about um, risky play and, and why it's important and some stats like the one you mentioned at the beginning around um, how much kids are getting out and why it's important. Um, and then within the tool, it's a kind of a three-stage process that we take parents through. And the second stage is like a choose-your-own-adventure type videos uh, where kids, um, you know, start to try new things like climbing a tree or wanting to walk home from school, you know, on their own or um, building a, a, um, a, a fort uh, and wanting to use um, a knife to do so. Um, and, and so the parents in those scenarios kind of have to choose what, whether they allow the kids to do it uh, or not. And based on the choice, the rest of the video plays out so that you can see kind of the effect of your choice on, on the kids. Um, and with those, we're hoping that, that parents get a chance to realize, you know, that it's the, the potential negative effect on the kids or, you know, they can also watch the other video where the ch parent allows the child to do it and then the potential positive effect on the child. Yeah, I think they're, they're really powerful tools. It's something that's one of the, I think it was one of the first things that I sort of stumbled across when I first became aware of your work um, and, and just watching these videos. And, and my initial thought was that these would be great to share with the parents um, at the school um, and have them go through and do it just because I think it's it's a really visual and easy way for, for parents to sort of see and understand the, the effects that maybe their choices and, and their feelings around play have have on their students. So that's the outsideplay.ca website. And you said the other one is outdoorplaycanada.ca. I'll, I'll be sure to put the links in the in the description of, of this podcast when I when I publish it so people can go and go and find that information. It's very um, confusing. I, wanna... I know yeah. the URLs no, are similar. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm conscious of time because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, it's been a very valuable conversation. I, I really thank you so, so much at the moment, but I do want to ask you, there's obviously we're living in a pretty crazy world right now with uh, obviously this pandemic that, that's happening. And, and I think that I'm noticing and, and a lot of um, my students stories that I'm hearing um, about, you know, not being allowed to go outside for, for the fear of, of COVID-19 um, what are you sort of finding at the moment in terms of, of that and how that's affecting children's ability to play and, and what's your advice, I guess, to, to parents around, around what they could be doing or what they can be doing with their kids, um, mm. current climate? Yeah. Uh, we've been worried enough about that, that we actually have published two statements for the Outdoor Play Canada website around it. Um, one was really, um, you know, why you should go outside and how to get outside safely. And the other one was looking at kind of the different uh, jurisdictions because there's different rules in different parts of the country. Um, so in general, uh, going outside is really, really important. And, and the provincial health officers are highlighting that as well. It's, it's just kind of gotten lost in the shuffle of all the other, you know, challenges and, and fears around what's going on right now. But there's a few key things that people need to understand. Transmission is less likely outside, you know, because when you're inside, you know, in a closed environment, the virus can really stick around and, and um, you're, you tend to be in closer contact with those who might be uh, sick. Uh, and so it's actually better to be outside. Um, being outside and, and physically active actually makes our immune system more robust, which will help uh, increase our defenses. Um, and also getting vitamin D levels, you know, the, the kind of the sunshine that you experience outside is also important to boost the immune system. Um, and 
connecting to community, you know, seeing other people, you know, even if you're far away enough, you know, just greeting them, knowing that they're out there is, is really important for our mental health and well-being and keeping us healthy and safe. Um, and so in terms of kind of going outside, you know, there's a lot of places that have closed playgrounds. Some have gone as far as closing parks. We're concerned about those places that have closed parks, um, but we're encouraging as much as possible parents to to still get out there. It is possible to get out there. You you follow the guidance on physical distancing. You know, you keep the two meters away. Make sure to wash your hands um, and have san hand sanitizer handy if, if you need to do anything with your hands. Um, and and just try and provide those time outdoors for kids. And it doesn't have to be a big outing. It's It doesn't have to be complex. It could be micro breaks outdoors, you know, going into, um, going out to, you know, the, the front of your house, doing a loop around the, the block, understanding that kids do need to, to also play during this time and, and finding venues for them to do that. Um, really important for, for all of you. Yeah, it's something it's, I mean, I'm in a family that we enjoy being outside. We love to be outside. We're always outside, but it's been really interesting in this time as well as I guess places have closed, like where we're out in Maple Ridge, we have um, Golden Ears Provincial Park was open and then that closed and then other trails closed. And all of a sudden it felt like the world was getting really, really small around us and the places that we love to go outdoors weren't available to us anymore. Um, but it's been really amazing. The last two weeks I've, we found so many different trails and outdoor spaces that are within a five to 10 minute walk of our house that we just didn't know existed um, previously because we'd never really been forced to try and find them. Um, so I, I think there actually is a lot of opportunity in this for people to actually get out into their own community and find these amazing outdoor spaces um, that may not be the traditional playgrounds or parks um, that enable their, their family and their kids to, to be active. Like my daughter right now, my three-year-old just loves, there's one trail near our house that just has all these tree stumps that have been cut off and she just loves to go and climb up on top of the tree stump and, and um, tell everyone that she's the king of the castle. So previously we didn't even know that that trail existed and it's five minutes from our, from our house. So I think while it, it can be daunting, I think, yeah, getting outside for us as a family has definitely been something that has kept us sane. Um, but also it's, I've made, made it feel like we're more connected to our community than we, than we were before. Mm, yeah, exactly. Perfect example. Yeah. So, um, as we sort of wrap this up, um, I always like to finish with, with a question, uh, a couple of questions, two questions. Um, one's a little bit completely off topic. And then the other one sort of will we'll focus a little bit on, on what we've been talking about. Um, but they're just sort of quick, quick response questions. Um, just first thing that sort of comes in into your mind. Um, so the first one is, I guess, um, is there something, what's something that people don't know about you that's really interesting? Mm. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Um, uh, well, I, I'm actually from Uruguay, so I was born there. My family, uh, for several generations was there and, and we moved to Canada when I was a child, but, uh, my first language is Spanish and, uh, and I'm raising my children in Spanish. There you go. Fantastic. I was wondering with your name, whether it was, uh, Italian heritage, but there you go. Uruguayan heritage. Well, there's um, a lot of Italians in Uruguay. Yeah, there is. There does seem to be a lot of Italians in Uruguay and Argentina for sure. Um, and then the last question, I guess, is is um, if you were, I guess, you know, you had 60 seconds, you had the whole world's attention um, and everyone was listening, what would you say to them? 
I would ask them to remember their favorite childhood play memory. And I would just allow them to really wallow in that. And just like you and I did, get them to think about what they got out of that experience and then ask them to reflect on what childhood is like now and, and what we are taking away from our children by not providing those opportunities. Fantastic message. Thank you so much for, uh, for spending about 40 minutes with, with me today. I know that this is going to be a really valuable um, podcast for, for my listeners and, and for people out there. Um, if people want to sort of get in touch with you or find out more about the work that you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, we have a ton of material on uh, my another website, my, my lab <laughs> website, which is brussonilab.ca. Uh, so they can certainly find um, our latest research studies, links to uh, articles, as well as to our resources, you know, more, uh, more lay friendly resources and ways to contact me directly on there. Great. So I'm going to try and get this clear. There's <laughs> outsideplay.ca, yeah. outdoorplaycanada.ca, yeah. Yeah. and then brassonilab.ca. Yes. Okay, I've got it. I've got it all clear. I'll make sure I include those those notes in there. And yeah, for anyone who's listening, definitely those. I have those two websites open right now, um, and it's just a wealth of, of information. So whether you're an educator or a parent, um, definitely go and and check those out, and you'll find something there that's going to be really really valuable to you. Mariana, thank you so much for for spending um, this time with me. Um, I really really appreciate it, and um, thank you for all the work that you're doing around around this topic. I think it's a really important one. So thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Nathan, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Another huge thank you to Dr. Brassoni for giving up her very valuable time to speak with me today on the Phys Ed cast. It was an absolute pleasure to catch up with her, and it was a really interesting conversation. It was maybe a little bit different than some of the other previous episodes. We've talked to physical education teachers and coaches, but I think it's something that as physical educators, as we strive to improve our practice, that we start looking outside of um, our spheres of influence and looking at other people who are doing work that may directly affect us. So thank you so much to Dr. Brassoni. And I look forward to joining you again soon for another episode of the Phys Ed cast. Oh.